The hum. 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 A storytelling podcast. A storytelling podcast. A storytelling. Produced by AWOL. Produced by AWOL. Produced by AWOL. Welcome to The Hum, where we tune in to the background noise of our experience and amplify the sounds of our lives. And we're college kids, so it's going to get a little weird. For this episode, we'll be sharing student stories about the holiday season. For our first story, we'll be hearing from David, who talks about his Russian family's alternative holiday traditions. He was interviewed by Nell. Uh, yeah, my name's David. Um, I'm a freshman here, and I'm studying. Yeah, mostly I'm studying international studies or international relations. Yeah, so I'm a, I'm from a place called Vernon Hills. It's a suburb of North Chicago, about 45 minutes north of the city. But I, when I'm telling people where I'm from, I always say Chicago. Mm-hmm. Um, and my family is originally from the former Soviet Union. So when the Soviet Union was breaking apart, family in Ukraine and Russia, and they essentially moved. Well, they moved to several places, but settled in North Chicago. Yeah, so I'm Russian Jewish, and so part of the things is I don't really celebrate Christmas, but I get some of the the Christmas experience in terms of gifts and trees and everything, and so uh, partially because the Soviet Union was an atheist state, uh, they tried to discourage people from celebrating religious holidays, and what people did is they just celebrated those holidays on New Year's. So New Year's became that holiday, and a lot of the traditions that I guess people like my friends have experienced like the like there's a Christmas tree I instead have a New Year's tree and so we put up decorations and really the same process of of getting gifts on Christmas I've experienced that but on New Year's what's the reason that they didn't want it to be celebrated on because it's an atheist uh, because it just like there's like a religious significance to Christmas okay. and so they and so the government is like hey we'll just move the holiday I mean, they said just don't celebrate Christmas, really, and people didn't really celebrate Christmas. And so okay. uh, my family, which is Jewish, but d- at the time being Jewish, there's a lot of anti a lot of anti-Semitism in the Soviet Union. So, like, one way to assimilate was just, you know, celebrate what everyone else was celebrating. And um, uh, it was celebrating New Year's. And to, and to this day, I, I mean, it's celebrated really everywhere. There's, like, a Russian community or really Eastern European community in the Russian diaspora. So, like, in the U.S. it's celebrated... In Israel, it's celebrated as a. Re- it's not really a religious holiday. It's just like a. It's like a celebration, and so people of really all religions and all like groups just celebrate, like the New Year's and, you know, the whole like New Year's tree thing and that sort of thing. So what like can you go through like a typical New Year's Day celebration for you? So, like what the day kind of like looks like? Uh, well, this isn't like uh, a speci- like I, I guess a general thing. So some traditions that are followed is that there's um. Uh, you know, you, you kind of wake up like New Year's Eve. It's it's a little bit hectic. Some sometimes you're hosting the family. Sometimes you're going somewhere. If you're hosting, it's it's very hectic. You know, you have angry Russian family yelling at you to do various things. And as a little kid, that was terrifying, and it was not fun. Uh, but generally, then you had to wait for people to come over, or you would go to someone's house and and obviously bring some sort of dish. And then generally. Uh, there is this character in the New Year's, or in like in this tradition, it's his name is Diet Maros, which means roughly Grandfather Frost. And then uh, occasionally he'd also there he'd also bring 
Snigurichka, uh, which is like little snowflake. And so sometimes when everyone's there and all the gifts have been placed, um, uh, Diaz Maros would come in, uh, be a gra- just like a grandparent dressed up as, <laughs> as him. Um, and he, even though in the actual tradition, Diaz Maros wears blue, my grandparents would just wear red, so it would basically just be Santa <laughs> Claus. Uh, and he would come in and uh, give gifts. And then sometimes, sometimes, this is before, the, I guess, gift giving happened, we'd sometimes family would turn on, like, the Russian TV. Like, there's, there's always, like, a massive celebration in Moscow, and we'd watch that. Um, though I, we don't really do that as much anymore. And then we would watch, like, the New Year's, the New Year's, I guess, uh, like, dropping of, uh, of the bell in Times Square, and then we'd watch the one in Chicago, and then everyone would go crazy, <laughs> family members would drink. Um, there are some sort like, m- minor traditions that, like, we celebrate, like, we uh, don't really celebrate completely, but, like, we observe in some ways, or, like, recognize that they exist, mm-hmm. uh, that we've brought back from, from Russia, like, uh, there's the, like, Day of Victory, I, f- I think it's in, it's in the spring, it's, like, when the Soviet Union, like, beat the Germans, it became, like, it's, like, a whole, like, nationalistic thing, but we don't really celebrate it partially because, uh, um, so, like, we, I had, uh, partially because we, like, our family's not that, like, loving of current Russian politics right now and current Russian nationalism right now uh, and but we do still recognize especially because a lot of my family like suffered a lot in during World War two uh, like we celebrate a little bit of like like inter- like international workers Day is kind of recognized a little bit uh, and I guess those are some holidays that are brought back um, but because there wasn't that many like religious holidays that were adapted into like secular holidays uh, we, there aren't that, that many particularly that like we celebrate. Do you see yourself like keeping this tradition or like parts of this tradition like as you grow older or do you kind of see it like yourself maybe fading off into like something more like stereotypically tradition? Um, I think it's, I think in some ways both are happening in some ways I'm like peeling off from it and like not connecting with it in some ways but at the same time I also want to connect with it more um, because it's different and it's because it's unique um, and it's something that like gives a sense of like identity and purpose that I really enjoy um, celebrating these things um, and sometimes and, and I guess the reason I never sometimes it enjoys because it like you know talking with your, like your your older relatives is fun and all but not not all the time not not like for, for for like several hours i guess i guess there is a need i feel like a need to pre- uh, like preserve tradition and preserve like old things uh that come back in some ways i've been trying to do that like by like you know just engaging with the culture more um so i guess it's a mix of the two though it's more fuzzy than that for the next story elena will tell us about a christmas story that left a permanent mark she was interviewed by maddie I'm Elena, and I'm a sophomore. So, late, set out the scene for us. Give us the background, all the all the details. Okay, so, all right, I was about six or seven when this went down. Um, we're a huge, loud Italian family that um, all got together at my grandma's house. Um, so, we had all the aunts, uncles, cousins, everyone came in from all different parts of the country to come celebrate. Um, so, being so young, I had a ton of other cousins that were 
either my age or a little bit older, and we always played around, did stupid things. Like, what, um, what would, like, you guys, like, give, a, like, some background on the, oh, the yeah. type of things you guys <laughs> I have do. a couple. <laughs> um, there was a couple Christmases ago, we uh, were playing around in her basement, we knocked over her Christmas tree. Your, your grandma's basement? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, she was not happy about that at all. Um, there was another Christmas, or a Thanksgiving, or some holiday, that we broke her door down <laughs> for her closet in her basement. So we've done some damage to her house. You guys are, like, contained to, like, the, the cellar part of the basement. Oh, like, yeah. Like, aren't allowed out of it. No, <laughs> we get stuffed down there until dinner's ready, and then we get stuffed back down there when dinner's done. <laughs> um, so this Christmas, we were... All hanging out. This was after dinner, but the adults were still eating, of course. Mm -hmm. Um, My cousins, Jake and Robbie and I, they're about my age, too. Um, We were all playing The Floor is Lava. And the older cousins really weren't with us. They were in the um, other part of the basement doing something else. So we really, we were unsupervised, (laughs) Um, which is a bad idea with us three. But we were playing The Floor is Lava. um, And my grandma has this huge sectional couch in her basement. And we were all on top of it. And we were going to jump onto this huge cushion, you know, because the floor was lava. <laughs> Couldn't touch the floor. Couldn't had touch to the touch floor. A, had to touch a cushion. Um, so we counted to three. We were like, three, two, one. We all jump up at the same time. And next thing you know, our heads are in the wall, <laughs> in the ceiling, just imprinted in there. We all fall down at the same time on top of each other. We're all like, oh, my God. Like, Jake got a concussion. Robbie almost passed out. I was fine somehow. I don't know how I was fine. But um, next thing we know, we look up as we're laying on our backs on the floor, and there's three huge (laughs) head holes in the wall, or in the ceiling, rather. And um, the way the basement's set up is that it was right underneath the dining room table, so you know all the adults heard it. And within seconds, they were all rushing down here. What the hell happened? And... They just saw us three on the ground. And the other two, like, can't move. The other two couldn't move, you and I'm just like, what? And the older cousins are like, what the heck? And they're, of course, getting blamed, you know, for not watching us. Um, you know how it goes. Um, but, yeah, my grandma came down. She wasn't too happy, but she wasn't too mad either, yeah. which was a surprise to all of us. Um, but, yeah, to this day, we come over every Christmas, every Thanksgiving, whatever, Um and we go down to that basement and we still see those three giant head marks <laughs> nice in that reminder. ceiling. She never got rid of them, so she must like them. Next up, we will have Arnell's story about an unforgettable New Year's Eve. He was interviewed by Grace. Nell, who's today at Beach, and I'm a freshman. So, can you just, like, walk me through everything that happened? Yeah, so we, so my parents left. It was probably, like, eight or something, and... Our friends came over. We were just hanging out. <clears throat> and Oh, wait. Can we specify? This is New Year's. Yes, this is New Year's Eve. Yeah. And so we were getting ready. We were just going to have a good time with our friends and do whatever at our house. And my sister and her friend were kind of supposed to be like the responsible adults there, obviously, because they were the oldest. They were about to go into. So they were actually juniors because of the later person. Yeah, they were juniors applying to colleges. So they were definitely the adults, while my friends and I were probably, I don't know, middle schoolish. Um, so it was really a sad night, honestly. It's not like it was anything fun, but um, basically we were just hanging out and I actually do have a friend who's two years older than me. And so of course them, him and all of like my sister's friends um, wanted to drink. 
And so I was too young to even care about that at that point. And so none of us had alcohol, obviously, but my parents did. Um, like it's alcohol they never, ever used. It was just kind of sitting there. And they thought it was a good idea that they could just use that because my parents wouldn't notice. Um, and my sister wasn't as responsible as you think. She allowed it to happen. And so long story short, basically they were all just drinking. And so the one friend got very drunk one of my sister's friends who was supposed to again be <laughs> like a adult there if anything happened because it is new year's and so um she got really drunk unfortunately i and she blacked out that night and so they drank a lot of my parents' alcohol and they did notice the next morning but before we even get to the next morning my friend that night i thought it was really funny that she blacked out i really didn't know what that meant at the time or what I really had no idea what was going on. So my friends and I, of course, and no one was stopping us. So I, that's my sister's fault. But we were drawing all over her face and everything. Um, what were you drawing? We were drawing like, I don't remember, honestly. But I remember we were drawing like really stupid pictures. And I think we wrote like really stupid things like, dumb on her forehead really stuff to expose that she got drunk and i think we wrote like drunk and that kind of stuff and she was not like moving so it was kind of concerning honestly thinking back on that probably not a good idea we probably should have helped her <laughs> as opposed to mess with her but um so that happened so the night passed she was asleep by that point nobody else really got drunk or at least that drunk um, and so the morning came and my parents did come home like late that night, but like everyone was in our rooms by that point. And so the next morning, however, um, my parents, my mom specifically noticed that alcohol was gone. Like, uh, parents are not stupid. And so the next morning my mom noticed and she called my sister was probably the first one to wake up and went to talk to her about the night and all that. And so my mom and I, so it was my sister and her friend actually that woke up first and went to talk to my mom. And so my mom noticed that she obviously had like faded ink on her face and you know, she's not dumb, but she didn't bring it up or anything. However, my mom being the person that she is, is she's, she's very smart and <laughs> has tactics up her sleeve. So she was trying to get at who was actually drinking the alcohol. Not that she would really get mad per se, but of course she was curious, like, hmm, we trusted you guys. Let's see what happens. So instead of just outright asking, my sister and her friend what happened who drank and all that my mom knew that okay to get it out of them i have to use some use some tactics so basically what she she just totally ignored my sister because she knew she wouldn't break my sister of course and my sister wouldn't rat me out because even though i wasn't even drinking but the fact that we didn't say anything or whatever i don't remember but um my mom then turned to the friend obviously noticed the stuff on her face probably knew something was up so she asked her and at the time we're from vermont so that friend was trying to apply to university of vermont and so my mom is best friends with a woman that works at uvm however she has no connection to admissions or anything so keep that in mind it has nothing to do with that arma's friend my sister getting into college but my mom turned to her and after like a conversation of trying to get stuff out of them um and them denying my sister or my mom threatened my sister's friend that she will tell her friend or my mom's friend 
to make sure you don't get into UVM if you don't tell the truth, which is honestly BS because she has no connections to admission. But of course, being the junior that she was trying to get into college, my sister's friend was very scared and intimidated. So she was like, okay, Arnell and his friends did. I think we tried alcohol, like we sipped on it or something just to see what it was. Um, and so I think she told her that she told her that like um, we were the ones that drew out her face. And so she basically totally ratted my friends and I out, which I to this day am still mad about because she had no business <laughs> completely throwing us under the bus like that. <laughs> for Wait, no reason. did she say that it was only you guys that had gotten drunk? She, so she didn't say we got drunk. She just said we tried alcohol. She definitely did put the emphasis on that, like all of us drinking and us drawing on her face, which of course would make my mom mad at me and my friends. Did she um, get mad? Um, I honestly don't remember. I definitely remember the conversation we had with her where she just like, I was really scared because I'm a young kid. And like she noticed we took her alcohol, not me, but she noticed that we as a group did. So I was very scared because, you know, I alcohol very young. So um, I don't think she got very mad at us, but she definitely had a conversation. And that's like for some reason, I just don't remember that that well. But I certainly remember me getting really mad at the friend and, my, and to this day. And that friend ended up having no connection to UVM. She went to Columbia, so. Oh, I also wanted to ask, your family is from Bosnia. <laughs> yes. That's so cool. Mm -hmm. Can you, like, tell me more about that? Yeah, so my parents are from Bosnia. I was, I'm first generation born in America, so they... In 92, there was obviously the Yugoslavian War, so they were kind of in the heart of that. Um, and so after, in like 95, they moved to Croatia, and that's where my sister was born. Um, and then after that, they immigrated to the U.S. in 90, 98. Um, so, and then I was born in 2001. So I was the first person in my whole family ancestry to be born, from what I know, obviously, but from all recent history. Um, and yeah, so they basically just came to America because... Bosnia was not looking good anymore, but I still have all of, or most of my family, a lot of my, from my dad's family is actually in Canada now. Um, and then I have family all over Europe, but a lot in Bosnia still. I don't know how much you know about that war or anything, but they're, they were the victims of the war. So like, obviously it was not a good situation for them. Um, and like I, from, they haven't told us too many stories just because it's sensitive. And I guess they don't feel comfortable telling my sister and I that much, but, um, I mean, my sister, I think the most interesting part is that my sister was born in Croatia and like immediately moved here. Um, but they I mean, I think they were excited about coming to America. I think the hard part was leaving their family, especially for my, my mom, because she was leaving her mom, my grandma. Um, and the fact that they still live there, I think it's hard. It's only us four in the U.S. Um, I think it makes us four a lot stronger, though. <laughs> Why? So because like we're, we're all that we have. Um, my sister went to school in Boston, obviously. Um, now she's back. She's graduated working in Vermont. Um, and now I'm the only one in D.C. So I think it's just like since we're all that we have here. I mean, we have family in Toronto, but it just kind of makes us closer. So I feel like always, and like you, I, my sister and I have talked about a lot, kind of relating to the story I just told, like they used to be pretty strict, especially coming into totally new culture, you know, all that. So they used to be very strict. And it's funny though, because now they're, they're much more laid back and they're kind of more proud of us. So they let us kind of do our own thing. Um, and it's, and it's funny because like, we'll laugh back at stories like the new year's one, every once in a while, that story will come up with our parents. Um, and it's more of a joke um, at the time, though, of course it was. <laughs> Our last story is from Betty, who I interviewed about her activism and how it made for a tense family holiday. 
All right, uh, my name is Betty Mfalangundi. Um, I'm a senior here at American. I'm studying secondary education and history, so I'm gonna be graduating with my uh, teaching license. I'm from Minneapolis, Minnesota, big Minnesota fan. Um, yeah, I'm also an RA in Anderson <laughs> Hall, love that. Yeah. Hmm. And so when I talked to Grace, um, she had said that you had a kind of particular story uh, on your mind. And I was wondering if you might be able to share and divulge. She hasn't fully told me the full details, so. Yeah, so um, the story that I told was um, probably the worst holiday season of my life. Because um, like I said, um, the holidays are all about family for me, but there was, um, when I was a senior in high school, there was a, sem or a yeah, semester, well, <laughs> there was a holiday season where I really, like I kind of looked at my family and I didn't know who they were anymore. Um, so I'm mixed race, whatever you want to call it. Um, all of my family in the United States is white. Um, and that's important because uh, when I was a junior in high school, so this is around 2014, that is when Michael Brown was killed. Um, and Darren Wilson, he wasn't indicted for the murder. And in my community, especially at my high school specifically, um, we all were just incensed by it. And we all were getting involved in protests and youth organizing. And it really, like, it took over my community, like, our passion for this cause. Um, and I really tried to, like, put myself at the forefront, like, organizing walkouts and having megaphones and stuff like that. Um, and it was a really empowering um time of my life, but it also um, revealed some things about my family that I hadn't really noticed before because I was a kid. Um, and it was, a lot of it was around like the challenges of being mixed race, being one of three people of color in your family. Um, and it was mostly, it all kind of took shape around like, well, what if Michael Brown had just like pulled up his pants? Um, he stole something out of the store. Like, um, then when I was a senior, we're kind of fast forwarding in time here. When I was a senior, um, Jamar Clark was killed. He's not exactly one of the more high profile instances of police brutality that you hear about, but it happened um, in North Minneapolis, um, maybe a 10 minute drive from my house, probably a little bit more than that, 15, but um, he was killed by the police during a domestic dispute. So there's a lot of controversy about that. Um, but nevertheless, like me and my peers and everyone who's organizing, we were like, well, when it comes to police brutality, this cop did not get to be um, like judge, jury, and executioner. Um, and the issue was like the police brutality and the indiscriminate killing, not us trying to defend um, like a domestic abuser. Um, so during the holiday season, um, I believe the conflict kind of started um, in the early fall or something like that. Um, and we were at, we like baked cookies <laughs> around the holiday time. And uh, my cousin's husband point blank asked me why I was supporting a wife beater. Um, I was 17. I didn't really know how to respond. And this is like a 30 something year old person asking me this question. And I was like, well, no, I'm not supporting that. And I was trying to speak and then my other cousin um, stepped in and she was like, I don't understand why you are all out here supporting um, these people, but then you never speak about like LGBT rights. You never talk about trans people. And I was like, well, we do like that's something that people are really fighting for. But it was just 
two white adults coming at me in the middle of us baking cookies and I just started crying. Um, and there had been a lot of other just like general conflict in the family, um, like less political, more just personal stuff, especially regarding like my mother. And I felt like some of that was being projected on me, but it was being done um, at my beliefs and my cause and also my race. Um, so that was a pretty traumatic moment. Um, and it just kind of got worse from there. Um, there was a time where I'd gone on vacation with my mother. We were sitting in the airport in Jamaica and suddenly she sees on Facebook that one of my other cousins, not either of the ones mentioned before, um, was going on this like Facebook rant about a protest that was happening at the Minneapolis airport. Um, they shut down the airport um, in the name of Jamar Clark and my mom works at the airport so this cousin's whole argument was that I being one of the protesters was inconveniencing my mother and he was kind of pitting us against each other saying like these people deserve to be arrested like I know my um, cousin would be with them and um, her mother even works there like can you believe that so that sort of thing and my mom for her part was like oh no 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 honey like that is not true if I was there at the moment I would be out there like with my daughter um, supporting them and also we were like out of the country when that was happening so it was just ah um, that particular cousin also at the time was having a little bit of legal trouble unrelated but um, it kind of came to play later on but by the time we got to Christmas, um, tensions were still pretty high. Um, there was still a lot of, like, I started, like, muting my family members on Facebook or whatever because they were just posting really awful things. Or, like, if I was posting about it, they would start commenting and, like, asking me just, like, aggressive questions like how can you justify like destruction of property at these protests and I was like well destruction of property is not the same as the destruction of people I don't really care um or like they protested at the Mall of America I couldn't go I boycotted the Mall of America but I couldn't go to that protest and they're like well why are they bothering all these people just trying to get their Christmas shopping done this is private property they shall be arrested and I was like well so is the Woolworth lunch counter that the um students protested in and during the civil rights movement like I don't care um but again, at the time, I was like a high schooler and I didn't exactly know how to articulate those things to my family who I imagined would be backing me during this. Um, Christmas Eve rolls around and we already knew it was going to be kind of tense, whatever, but I woke up to my phone blowing up um, and I had a Facebook message from my aunt and it started with, can we all just please be civil? And I was like, it is like 8 a.m. on... December 24th what is going on and I just see all of these messages can I swear yeah at some point I see a message from my mother where she's like Tammy you callous bitch and I was like what is going on I was trying to catch up I also just wanted to like you know get up put on my Christmas sweater and like go celebrate the holidays and I see that all of these adults and these are all people who are at least like 15 years older than me who are just arguing because apparently something had popped off on Facebook because adults love to fight on Facebook and um, it had to do with Black Lives Matter. It had to do with personal issues and people in the family who didn't like each other before. But then all of a sudden, like I said, like my cause somehow turned into a catalyst. Me, one of the youngest people in the family fighting for something I believed in became this huge thing and probably like 
one of the most devastating moments of my life is when I got a call from my grandma. My grandma is my angel. I love her. Um, I'm named after her. And she called me and she just yelled at me. And I was already so upset because I felt like everything that was going on was my fault. Um, I felt like I hadn't like defended myself or Black Lives Matter well enough. Um, and I don't, I don't remember what she said because frankly, for a long time, I just tried to like pretend that it didn't happen. She's really old. She doesn't remember what happened. Um, so she just, she said she was disappointed in me and that um, it was like me and my family, my like immediate family who were um, making all of this happen. And after that phone call, I, I just couldn't do it. I we were supposed to go to my grandma's house and that's when we do we exchange gifts and stuff and I just couldn't do it like I couldn't look her in the face I knew that the people who had been attacking me the most were there and I was like I can't um my little cousin Finley had been born that year and I missed his first Christmas um I didn't get to see him like open presents for the first time or anything because I just couldn't do it um I stayed back with my dad and I just slept because I just, I didn't, I didn't know what to do. Um, and my mom brought my gifts back um, at the end of the night and that was pretty much it. And in the aftermath, like I spoke to specific people in the family again, like my grandma almost immediately forgot everything that happened. So I, I wouldn't really hold my grandma accountable for any of that anyway. She's like, 89 um but it was really really hard and I had to do a lot of like looking at my family and the entire time I'd been examining like my racial identity what it meant for me to be mixed race I was being asked really difficult questions about like well are you rejecting your family because like you are black and you look black and I was like well I'm not rejecting you but I'm also just being realistic about who I am um and how I present to the world and this was all happening while well, I was also doing like college apps because it was um, back then. But even now, like sometimes it's kind of hard for me to remember things that happened because for a while I just wanted to pretend that it hadn't. Um, and I wish that me discovering and like coming to terms with my racial identity hadn't turned into this huge conflict in my family that ended up spanning like well over a year. Like it, it started before the holiday season and it expanded after. Um, and now we're like, things are better. Um, that one cousin in, is in jail. I don't, I don't speak to him. He and they, that part of the family said some pretty pointedly racist things, um, and also came out in support of like anti-immigration policy. My dad is an immigrant, um, stuff like that. So they are. I don't consider them my family, and I'm completely comfortable saying that I don't, and kind of putting out their skeletons out there. I don't care. I don't. Um, those people are no longer a part of my life. And then the family members that cared about me, no matter what, we've made amends since then. And I've seen a lot of positive changes, and I know that there's some stuff that's just probably gonna go unaddressed, but um, I do believe that ultimately that period of time is something that I feel like my family really hit like a nader, like we really hit a low point, but we've, um, we've begun to move past that. It was a long time ago now, and I'm not ever going to forget that um, part of my life, but I can say that I've personally moved past it. The HOM is an American University podcast created by AWOL. 
The podcast is produced by Shane Ryden and Grace Vitaioni. Our podcast director is Maddie Cole, and our episode was edited by Zach Felici. The rest of our amazing podcast team was made up of Greta Gatlin, Haley Toba, Lily Bertrand, Maddie Escort, Nell DeCourcy Brennan, Ruth Pellegrino, Sohela Shorbaji, and Therese Wilson. Keep an eye out for future episodes of The Hum and email us at awallpodcast at gmail.com if you have a story you think we should tell. Thanks for listening, and from the whole Hum team, we hope you have a wonderful holiday.